Well, good morning. We're thankful for your attendance this morning and for the opportunity to enjoy one another's fellowship. As is said in our announcements, we have a busy couple of weeks coming up. We look forward to all the good activities. I think we've got a fairly regular week this week, but then we'll begin uh, next weekend, the Heart Walk on Saturday morning, the day at our, day, or at our house hopefully that afternoon. Sunday, we've got our regular class and worship services. And I was thinking we've got uh, the last leaders preparation going on. That night will be our singing night. Monday will be the close giveaway. The closed closet will be open. Tuesday will be the ladies' Bible class. Wednesday will be trunk or treat. So go so on and so forth. Uh, we hope that you'll write these things down, that you'll be a part of them. Um, our worship time together is really of the utmost importance. That we come together and we study, that we study God's word, that we encourage one another. But all these other times of fellowship go into our encouragement as we think about building up the body and encouraging one another. I will give you one other note going forward to the 1st of November, or really the first Sunday in November. If you be marking that Sunday p.m. services to be sure and be here, we always want you to come back uh, at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. But that Sunday night... In particular, we're going to have uh, Jason Brazier, who is begin, beginning to work with the Greater Chattanooga Counseling Services uh, that we support here. Uh, our elders uh, contribute to that or contribute part of our giving to that. He's going to come and speak to us on the work that they're doing there and encourage you if there's any need that you have. Uh, that is something that is out there that was certainly uh, underutilized at times. Uh, but he will like to explain that, to talk about the work a little bit and to encourage us with the things that are going on there. If you ever have any need, I know there's a lot of times a, a little bit of a, a stigma there that people say, well, I don't, I don't want to talk to a counselor. I don't need any kind of professional help, and I don't want anybody to know maybe that I'm struggling with something, but that is certainly a good work that we support. And as Jason is beginning to work there, working with uh, families, with children, with parents, uh, and that kind of thing, we're excited about him coming uh, and encouraging us, and we want you to know that and be a part of that if at all possible. We're continuing this morning in a series that we began a couple of weeks ago, trying to understand and ask the question of why. And we've given the example that, that's been given many times in many different sermons about the idea that, that it's important that we often understand why we do particular things. It's of the utmost importance that we talk about that when it comes to our spiritual life. But we have certainly many earthly examples. The one, I think I mentioned it last week, but the one I've always heard preachers give, of course, is that, uh, you know, you, a young man marries a young lady and, and they're getting ready to fix lunch and she, you know, lops off the end of the ham and throws it in the trash and sticks it in the crock pot. And he says, well, why, why did you do that? And she says, well, my mama did it that way. And not only my mama did it that way, but my grandma did it that way. And there's, you know, all this room in the crock pot. And of course, you go back and start digging digging in and try to find out and grandma had a crock pot that was too small so they had to get rid of part of the ham well now things have changed but yet we're still throwing away uh, good things simply because we've always done it that way that's a bit of a humorous example and kind of an interesting way to think about it but sometimes that's the way that we treat things in particular things when it comes to spiritual matters I've mentioned this already, I think, but I'd like to take a brief break from this maybe in the, the end of the year and come back, God willing, the first of the year and look at some more things, in particular in regards to our worship. Now, those are some things that maybe we're more familiar with, maybe why we don't have a piano on the stage or why we don't use instruments when we sing in our worship. Um, why is it that we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? There's many things that we could consider in this series. I'd like for us to do that, of course, maybe over a period of time. But as we're going to talk about this morning, and if you've got your outline or your bulletin in front of you, we're going to take a little bit of a shift and try to understand that sometimes it matters why we don't do some things. You know, 
again, from a humorous example that came to my mind, kids sometimes would say, well, why can't or why don't I play in the road? Why am I not allowed to go play in the middle of the road? And so we laugh at that, and as adults, we understand the consequences of that. And that seems silly, but children have to understand that. You see, I can play here in the building, and I can sometimes maybe even play in the parking lot. I can play at home. I can play in the yard. Why can't I just go frolicking down the middle of the road? Well, there's a perfectly good reason why. It's there for our protection. Uh, But sometimes it helps us to understand why we don't do certain things. Security is important. It's important to all of us. I I tried to do a little research. The one number that jumped out to me that I could find is in today's world, it is estimated that I think in 2019 that in this year, uh, there would be 125, 125 billion with a B, billion dollars spent on cyber security. Now, of course, that's how things have changed in our world. It's not so much that you go down to the lockbox in the bank, although you might still do that. And there's perfectly nothing wrong with that. But certainly as we think about it, and some of you may have had your identity stolen before. And when you go through that, even if you get your money back and, and all that, you go through a lot of hassle. You go through a lot of trouble. So there's a lot of money spent every year on, on cyber security or Internet security. In fact, we went to uh, Fried Hardeman just a couple of weeks ago and went, were able to go to chapel. And the chapel speech that day was given by a young man who is in their cybersecurity program. You see, they've already seen the need and decided to make some sort of a program, or I don't know if it's a full-fledged degree, but some sort of, of study of classes on cybersecurity. And he gave a brief lesson on being careful on those things. But security is important to us. And again... When we take it and we turn it into spiritual matters, security is still important to us. When we think about this idea of why don't we do certain things or why don't we practice certain things, this morning we want to consider why we don't believe the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Now what are we talking about? What do we mean? It would help us to define our terms. One way that it's described is once saved, always saved. Another way that you might have heard it before is once in grace, always in grace. We know and understand that grace is important. We appreciate the prayers that we have here, including Jeff's, and we talk about and we sing about grace. We want to have grace and be in grace, but that's another way that it's used. Maybe another way is the impossibility of apostasy. Those are big words, and sometimes people go, what's apostasy? Well, to apostatize or apostasy is to simply turn away. And so some people have taken that once saved, always saved. And of course, as preachers like to make things rhyme or be easier to remember, the impossibility of apostasy is certainly one way to do that. One that you may be familiar with is the perseverance of the saints. It's another way to say the same thing. Now, if you've ever heard that before, More than likely, you've heard it in connection with Calvinism and the idea of Calvinism. You may recall, if you've ever studied Calvinism, we take an acrostic, the word tulip, T-U-L-I-P, and use that to remember some of the tenets of Calvinism. And the P in that word, tulip, stands for perseverance of the saints. You may recall another one for the U is unconditional election. That's false as well. The idea that that we are just unconditionally elected. We may not have a choice in things. Irresistible grace is another one that connects with that. But the P in TULIP and Calvinism is the perseverance of the saints. And then yet one more may be the idea of the eternal security of the believer. 
That's why we began talking about security a moment ago. We're interested in security. I'm not here. I don't, I don't prepare all week and stand up here every Sunday for almost an hour total to make you feel bad and terrible and to make you go home and worry all the time. We're going to talk about it a little bit through the lesson, but I'd like for you to have some sense of security. But that is another way that it is used, and we'll come back to that in just a few moments. But if that's the titles or the names that are used, what does it mean? What are we really talking about? Well, the idea of once saved, always saved is the idea that once one, once a person becomes a child of God, he cannot lose his soul in hell. Another way is, again, once saved, once one becomes saved or a child of God, he cannot lose his soul in hell. Connection with that, no sin will cause him to be lost. That's sort of what this means when you hear somebody use any number of the phrases that we talked about just a moment ago. And then even the idea that once one is saved, he cannot do anything to be lost. Now, I understand that most people aren't uh, uh, theologians. Most people aren't scholars. I don't even consider myself to be one, really. But most people just simply take what they hear or read and will try to regurgitate it sometimes and give it to someone. So... We're going to come back to this at the end, but I don't know that everyone even understands the implications when they use the idea of once saved, always saved. But I think it's important for us that we consider this morning exactly what that means and why we don't believe it. Now, I'll let you in on the secret that we've said, and I've tried to say it every week, but it's similar to the psalm. How do I know that Jesus loves me? Because the Bible tells me so. That's the key to all of these lessons. Because the Bible tells me so. And let's think about that for a few moments together this morning. Why we don't believe in once saved, always saved. Number one, because very simply, it is not taught in the Bible. Now, I say this sometimes. The one point or the, maybe the first point of the lesson is so easy to understand that I could just go ahead and sit down. We could leave it at that and sing the invitation song and just, just leave it there. It's not taught in the Bible. But, but let's consider a couple other points for a few moments. Not only is it not taught in the Bible, but in connection, think about this. There are passages, there are passages in the Bible that teach the eternal security of the believer. I said that a moment ago. We're, I'm interested in your security. I want you to leave not feeling worried or scared or sad, but secure. There are passages in the Bible that teach the eternal security of the believer. There are passages in the Bible that are there to give us hope. That should cause us to leave with our head held high. With some comfort. With some peace. There are many passages in the Bible that we could list that would cause us to have that type of feeling. That type of eternal security. But by the other token, there are no. There are none. There are no passages in the Bible that teach that a child of God can continue to commit any sin and not lose his soul in hell. Now, it's a lot of words, and I meant to make them different colors, the first statement and the second, but there are passages that teach that we can have security, but there are no passages, no passages that teach that a child of God, a saved person, we might even use the term Christian, can do anything that they want to do, that can, can continue to commit sin and not be in danger of losing his or her soul in hell. And for the last couple of weeks, I have asked and almost begged you, and not that anyone here would take me up on it, but if you've got any questions on anything that we talk about, please let us sit down 
and study those things. The elders would study with you. I would study with you. And I've tried to say it multiple times before as well. But if I am wrong, I want to know. I would like for you to point out to me where I am wrong. I don't mean that. I honestly, I hope you understand, don't mean that with a sense of arrogance. Like you just will just try it. You just try me. No, if I am wrong and we can sit down with an open Bible and look at it, please, let's do so. There are no passages in the Bible that teach that a child of God can continue to commit any sin and not be in danger of losing his soul in hell. And if you know of one, and I didn't have time this morning, I was going to mention it at the end, but there are several passages that people who believe this would use. But when you look at the Bible as a whole, when you take it in context, when you really study, that's not what they're saying. So if you've got a question about a particular passage, please let us give us an opportunity to answer. It is simply not taught in the Bible. We have an opportunity to have security, but the The idea of once saved, always saved, and if you're using the phrase, the eternal security of the believer in that sense, that passage is not found anywhere. So number one, it is not taught in the Bible, but number two, the Bible does teach that a child of God can sin and lose his soul in hell. As we said a few moments ago, we are interested simply in what the Bible has to say. If that's what we're after, if that's what we want to understand, what does the Bible have to say about a matter? then let's look together. The Bible teaches that a child of God can sin and lose his or her soul in hell. First of all, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 4. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 4. Paul writing to those in Galatia would say, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now, again, I feel like I can kind of sit down there. That's about, that's about all we need to understand. Paul says that you can fall from grace. And we used that phrase earlier, once in grace, always in grace. It's not there. It's not in the Bible because Paul would say here that you have or can fall from grace. We understand those who study the Bible in a deeper and much broader sense that Paul is writing and trying to struggle with those who would keep going back to the old law. And wanted to be justified by that. And he continues to point out in other letters in different places that we cannot be justified by the law. That Christ came, he died on the cross, his blood was shed so that we might have the remission of sins. And he says here, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Go up to verse number one if you're there in Galatians chapter five. But he says there as well, stand fast. Almost a warning. Don't be lazy, don't be weak, but stand fast. And at the end there, to not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And he's talking about the law here and the things of that nature. What does the Bible have to say about this matter? Paul says here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a person can fall from grace. Notice with me as well, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. Hebrews 3 and verse number 12. Now we're going to begin to notice this in a couple of different uh, verses that we're going to look at. But the Hebrew writer begins verse number 12 by saying, Beware, brethren. We have to understand as we study the Bible, who is the writer writing to? What is the context of the passage? He says, brethren. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, turning away from, falling away from the living God. 
And he continues it in verse 13 with a connection, but, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I don't have to tell many of you here to understand the idea of the hardening of things. Many of us have a hardening of our arteries in our own body, and that causes us health trouble. We go see the doctor for the hardening of plaque and things within our veins and our arteries and our heart. Paul, or the Hebrew writer here, many believe to be Paul, is writing in connection. He's saying that, that our lives can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So in opposite of that, we need to beware. And we need to not depart from the living God. But notice he uses the word there even in verse 12, an evil heart of unbelief. We can depart from God in unbelief. And so we must beware. We must exhort one another daily. It's why we continue to say, come to worship. Come to worship to worship God, but come to worship to encourage one another. Because as we exhort one another daily, certainly on the first day of the week, we have an opportunity to, to soften and not be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin because we don't want to depart from God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 19, Paul writing to Timothy encourages him specifically. In fact, we see that relationship in 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 19, or excuse me, going back to verse number 18, depending on the version that you're looking at, he says, this charge I commit to you, the new King James says, son, Timothy, or it may say my son. That's the connection that he had. He loved Timothy and he's writing to him and encouraging him. And in verse number 19, he says, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Now, I don't know about you, but not only does he stop there, but I don't know about you, but I think I'd be awful nervous if my name was mentioned in Holy Scripture and especially in the negative sense. If Paul's going to call me out and say, stay away from Joel, I'm going to be worried. And bless those people's heart, we don't see here necessarily that these two guys ever repented. And maybe they did. We don't know for sure. But they're called out for sure. As he says, which some having rejected, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now, I don't know. Maybe they turned their lives around, but bless their heart, as we say here in the South. They're forever linked with doing something wrong. And being connected to what? Having rejected concerning the faith and shipwrecked the faith. Now we talked often about, we talk often about the fact that the Bible uses some examples for us that we don't always necessarily connect with. It's not that we don't understand, but we don't go through the same things. One, I think, of course, is the idea of sheep and shepherd. We understand that. We get that. But, but I don't know if anybody here has ever been a shepherd before. You know, we, we know that concept. But we've never done it. Another sometimes, of course, is the sowing of the seed. Now, that's a little more connection because maybe many of you have had a garden. Many of us have benefited from your gardens, but maybe you've not plowed a whole field and sown the seed like that. But we understand. But Paul writing here writes about shipwreck. Again, we know that, although there's every precaution today that there's not as many shipwrecks as there once were. But Paul knew that. You may recall from Scripture that Paul was involved in shipwrecks. So he knows that. And as he's writing to Timothy, he says that it is possible to shipwreck, to destroy, to tear up, to run aground the faith. 
So that's encouraging for us to think about that we would stay away from that. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. This is the second passage where this time James is going to begin, verse number 19, if you're looking in your Bible, with the word brethren. Brethren. Not, not anybody. Hey, not whoever picks this up. Not you unbelievers, but brethren. Who would read this? Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, that is, in a sense, we can connect that with lost people. I mean, if we take a person who is lost and we are able to teach them the truth and they become a Christian, that is a wonderful and great thing. But notice in context, brethren, brethren, if you can go to a brother or sister and tell them they're wrong, and in love correct them, and bring them back, I don't think we can put a price on what he says here. There's no dollar amount, $125 billion or anything, that will cover a multitude of sins. There's not a number there. It doesn't mean that for every person that you turn back from their heir, that you get 10 sins or 100 sins forgiven, but a multitude of sins and save a soul from death. Brethren, we must be careful because we can err, we can turn away from, we use that word, I often do, wander from the truth and be in need of being turned back. That person who, is, who has wandered from the truth is in danger of death. One more, very quickly, back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Do you want a real world example? Do you want a real life example from the scripture? You're familiar with Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 11 because Paul here is talking about Peter. Again, mentioned by name. Now the good news is we know the good things Peter did, but at the same time, notice verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. And I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the King James uses the word condemned. Or the English Standard talks about he was condemned. He was wrong. And he needed to be corrected. Now many of you know this passage and are familiar with it. The idea that Peter knew that the Gentiles were to be accepted. Peter knew the Gentiles were to be accepted. But he kind of became what we call a respecter of persons. Because he loved the Gentiles and he welcomed them in until the Jews came around. He's like, oh, I don't know about those guys over there now. And so he was only respecter of persons when his, his friends came around or these other people. He wanted their respect. So then he's going to shun them and turn them away. Paul says that's wrong that you would do that. That you would be one way to one group and then when another group comes around, you're another way. We call it hypocrisy. We call it playing uh, as an actor or wearing a mask. Hypocrisy. Peter did it. Peter was wrong. Peter was wandering from the truth and Paul needed to correct him and he did. Peter had sinned and Peter was condemned for that. He was to be blamed. Very quickly here. Not only is it not taught in the Bible, but now we've looked at what the Bible has to say. But third and finally this morning, because of the consequences. Why don't we believe in once saved, always saved? Because of the consequences. I ask you to study with me with an open Bible. I also ask you to study with me what we would say logically, using our mind. Now, we're going to have to report back to you in a few months, but we have tasked our good Dr. Don with maybe teaching a couple of our young people about debate. 
All right, so we'll see if they can ever debate when they get done with this. Maybe it adds to leaders. Uh, I'm already working on it. Whenever Clayton says something illogical at home, I say, that won't work in the debate room, okay? That's not a logical argument. So I'm already trying to soften him up and make him think about it. you got to argue logically sometimes. And, and you don't even have to argue logically. We ask ourselves to think logically about things. That doesn't make sense. What are the consequences of once saved, always saved? One is, is that a Christian can commit any sin. From idolatry to murder and still go to heaven. If once I am saved, I am always saved, I can do anything. Now, what we oftentimes do is we say, well, I can, I, I can lie. Or, or maybe I have an anger problem. I, I can do some of these little things. I'm not going to murder. But if you're once saved, you're always saved, then why can't you murder and still go to heaven? At the same time, a, a good moral person who doesn't believe, and we all know those people. Those people in the world that you would say, that's a good person. That's a good person. And we struggle with the question of whether or not God would condemn them because they're a good person. But once saved, always saved would have you say a good moral person who doesn't believe will be lost while an immoral believer will be saved. Again, connect, connect these thoughts. I can do whatever I want to do because I am saved. And this good moral, moral person who doesn't believe is going to be lost. Number three, the sin in our life would have no consequences for the child of God. If it doesn't matter what I do because I'm always saved, there'd be no consequences. I could lie, I could cheat, I could steal, I could murder, I could practice idolatry, I could have anger, anything we want to list. It wouldn't matter. I'm saved, I'm always saved. Again, in connection, a child of God can quit going to church services, join the church of Satan, and still go to heaven. I know it sounds a little silly, it sounds a little out there, but why not? If I was saved by the blood of Christ, if I became a Christian, I could quit coming. I could quit coming, number one. Number two, I could quit coming and go somewhere else, but I'm saved once, so I'm always saved. And I should still be going to heaven even if I do swap over and begin to worship Satan. And then fifth and finally, under this point, all liars will, notice the extra word in there, not have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. Many of us know Revelation 21.8. We kind of maybe have always sung the little song about it, about liars going to the place of condemnation, going to the place of the lake of fire and brimstone. But if we believe once saved, always saved, one of the consequences is that all liars would not have their place or their part in the lake of fire. Now again, these sound crazy. And what I'd like for you to consider with me this morning is I think if we lined people up, if we went down to the ball field this week when there were ball games going on, if we went to town when there was a festival or something going on and we lined people up, I would almost guarantee you that most people would say, I don't believe that. They'd say, I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't believe that. But what I'd like for you to consider as we conclude our lesson this morning is, I also can guarantee you that most people live their lives that way. They may say, I don't believe it, but they're living their life in such a way that they never darken the door of the church building. They never live faithfully. They continue to do sinful things. Why? Well, that's a harder question. Sometimes it's hard to nail people down when you really want to say, well, why is it that you keep doing these things? Why is it that you keep neglecting to do certain things? 
But I think it's because maybe in their heart they believe that once I was saved, I'm always saved. Now, I'm not a murderer, and I don't do the big things. I don't steal. I don't take money from people and from my company or other things where maybe I have opportunity. I'm not that person, but I don't do the other things. I neglect the other things because maybe deep down inside, I'm living like I believe that once I was saved, that was enough. Why don't we believe in once saved, always saved? Well, it's simply not in the Bible. The Bible says from the simple verses that we've looked at already this morning, otherwise, a child can fall from grace. We even see an example of Peter that we love. Peter that gives us so many good things. Who was wrong in something that he was doing? I would beg of you again, let us study together. If you have any questions, we can come to the building, we can come to someone's house, we can have a group, we can do it in a smaller group, but let us reason together, even as we talked about from Isaiah chapter 1 last Sunday night. Come, let us reason together from Scripture, and let us consider the ramifications of what it is that we say and do. Once saved, always saved may be something that we just sometimes blow off, we think it's not a big deal, but there are some heavy consequences and ramifications when we Not only say that, but certainly when we live that. And sometimes many in the world will. This morning as we conclude our lesson, I thought it was pretty interesting to connect that with the idea of baptism is essential for salvation. I'd like for us to consider some of those salvation type things and why we believe it and why we don't. We talked last Sunday morning about why we believe that baptism is for the remission of sins, why it is essential for our salvation The possibility exists in a crowd this size this morning that you are here. You're not a child of God. You stand in need of responding to the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that you can participate that as well. Being dying to self, being buried in the watery grave of baptism, rising again just as he did to walk in newness of life. It's a wonderful feeling. The Lord will add you to his church, and you can begin to live faithfully. But, But again, to connect it back to our lesson for a minute. Why do we always talk about remaining faithful? Why do we always talk about Christians who turn away? Because it's important. If you are here this morning, you're not once saved, always saved. Not because I said so, but because the Bible says so, because God has said so. And if you've wandered from the truth, if you stand in the air and need to come back to him, the good news is we're also not once saved, one shot, and if you mess up, you're gone. That's it. No, we have an opportunity to turn back to God. We'll be singing as well to encourage you that maybe you need to repent of sin and pray to God for forgiveness. He is faithful to do that because that is part of his gospel plan and part of having people remain faithful to him. As brothers and sisters, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.